There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped in town at Grant Michael We still don't know who pulled the trigger. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon, a 27-year veteran. And today we're going to do the follow-up report investigation on the shooting, the active shooting case in Highland Park, Illinois, yesterday, which was a horror on the 4th of July. Folks, mom, apple pie, Americana, People going to a parade to celebrate the 4th of July and gunfire rings out, as is too often in this country. At all different kinds of events, we hear that term. It's almost become too common, active shooter. Everyone knows what that means now. And in the last couple of months, we've had three of the most horrendous ones. A bias active shooter attack up in Buffalo, New York, of a top supermarket in an African-American neighborhood that was destroyed by a racist with a gun. Evaldi, Texas, an active shooter going into an elementary school, killing 19 young children and two adults. And we all know that is wrought with scandal because of the response by the police. And yesterday, the 4th of July, Shots ring out from a rooftop, two stories above a parade, killing people expecting to be at a joyous occasion. And it was anything but that. Uh, They're finding out some new stuff today. Of course, you know, investigation, I always say on this show and every other show, investigation takes time. And many times the press and the media, they don't want to take the time to understand that. And I think. The the police, the Highland Park police are doing an outstanding job disseminating the information. It seems like they're also working very well with their law enforcement partners, the FBI, the ATF, Homeland Security, all the other neighboring police departments. Because even though this was a one-person event in regards to it being a one-person active shooter, the amount of investigation to do on a case like this is overwhelming. And you need really good investigators, but you also need people that are running the investigation that are outstanding. And that keeps the investigation focused and it makes it so that the person responsible for this will never ever see the light of day once he's prosecuted. You know, we hate to use the name of this guy, but I like to put his picture up on the thing. You can see just by the tattoos on his face, I think he's a troubled individual, you know, and uh, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that later on, but there's no doubt he's troubled. The shooter who allegedly opened fire on the Highland Park 4th of July parade was dressed in women's clothing to disguise himself and his, and, uh, Ate his escape. Uh, police talked about that this on Tuesday. Robert Bobby E. Crimo the third. He's twenty one. Apparently, he's going to be twenty two in September. He's accused of killing six innocent parade goers and injuring at least thirty others. He allegedly climbed onto the roof of a business in the wealthy Chicago suburb on Monday and fired over 70 rounds from a high-powered rifle. He then ditched the legally purchased weapon on the roof so he could blend in with the crowd as he fled during the chaos. Lake County Major Crime Task Force spokesman Christopher Covelli told at a news briefing. Crimo was dressed in women's clothing, and investigators do believe he did this to conceal his facial tattoos and his identity. He was seen on video in, in uh, video camera in women's clothing. He may have even donned a hairpiece to complete his disguise, a 
authorities said. A wig is not out of the twisted cover was designed to make it appear almost as if he was an innocent spectator himself, Cavelli said. He wore that in an attempt to conceal himself. Primo, an amateur rapper, immediately went to his mother's house nearby and used her car to flee the area. He remained on the loose for hours after the mass shooting, but was nabbed by police Monday night when bystanders spotted his vehicle and alerted 911. Cops found another rifle in the suspect's car and more firearms in his apartment nearby Highwood after he was eventually taken into custody. Authorities said Crimo had purchased the weapons locally and legally. Charges were expected to be filed against Crimo in connection to the massacre on Tuesday afternoon. Um, we do believe Crimo pre-planned the attack for several weeks, Cavelli said, adding that investigators were still trying to determine a motive. Investigators have been in discussions with him. I don't have anything to say about motivation thus far because it hasn't been provided. We have no indication to suggest at this point that it was racially motivated or motivated by religion. So the investigation is still very much an active investigation. Many times in these type of cases, of course, you get the best information from the mouth of the perpetrator, providing he waves Miranda and he's willing to speak. You know, these active shooter incidents, they are just happening way too often. Um, the carnage is just unbelievable. You know, I wonder how even responding police officers and first responders, they how would they deal with this in days and weeks and months to come? I know that the police officers uh, in many uh active shooter incidents in the past have had major problems with PTSD and that type of thing. These images never, never leave your psyche and they're always imprinted upon your brain. I'm going to play a little bit of the, um, of the news report of what the up to date investigation in regards to this case. And let's see what, uh, what they have to say about this. And this consists of the extremely hard work by Highland Park Police, the Major Crime Task Force, State Police, ATF, and the FBI. Uh, everybody has been collaborating very well to further this investigation. The community has been absolutely terrific as it comes to uh, reporting information that they have, things they may have witnessed, things they may have seen, turning over video that has really helped us uh, further the investigation and aid investigators. One point I just want to clarify is Robert Cremo III, he's 21. He'll be 22 in September of this year, and he's a resident of Highwood. So throughout the past 24 hours, investigators have spoken with numerous witnesses, some of the survivors. Uh, they've had the opportunity to review numerous video clips, uh, both from cell phone video recordings and fixed cameras in the area, and they've con uh, conducted a number of other follow-up investigations. And based on where we're at at this point in the investigation, and some of this is still preliminary, so is subject to change as we keep moving forward. But we do believe Cremo pre-planned this attack for several weeks. Uh, he brought a high-powered rifle to this parade. He accessed the roof of a business via a fire escape ladder and began opening fire on the innocent Independence Day celebration goers. The rifle was purchased in Illinois and the information we have thus far is that it appears to have been purchased legally by Cremo. Uh, during the attack, Cremo was dressed in woman's clothing, and investigators do believe he did this to conceal his facial tattoos and his identity and help him during the escape uh, with the other people who were fleeing the chaos. Folks, just so you realize, like, he's dressed in woman's clothing because he knows, this active shooter knows, that he's going to be caught on video camera. So if this just gives him enough disguise that prevents them from identifying him, that's all he wants. They're going to, of course, be able to pick him out and say, oh, this that's a male there, but who is he? And that's, that's what he wants, because even as crazy as this guy is, he knows that um, there's video all over the place and that the police will be using the video surveillance in their investigation and attempts to identify him. 
During the attack, we believe that Karimo fired more than 70 rounds from this rifle into the crowd of innocent people. Following the attack, Karimo exited the roof. He dropped his rifle and he blended in with the crowd and he escaped. Uh, he walked to his mother's home who lived in the area and he blended right in with everybody else as they were running around almost as he was uh, an innocent spectator as well. He borrowed his mother's vehicle. Uh, we issued an alert yesterday afternoon. Chief Jogman uh, provided the vehicle information and Cremo's information. Uh, we're very thankful that an alert member of the community saw Cremo's vehicle traveling southbound on Route 41, dialed 911, an alert North Chicago police officer spotted the vehicle, waited for additional backup units to arrive, conducted a traffic stop, and they were able to safely apprehend Cremo with no injuries to the officers. Inside the vehicle, there was a second rifle located. Uh, indications is that was purchased by Cremo as well. Thus far, over 30 people were injured during the attack, and this does not include the six who lost their lives. Right now, Cremo remains in custody at this time. Uh, there are no indications that there was anybody else involved in this attack. It, by all indications, it appears Cremo was acting by himself. The Lake County State's Attorney's Office has been with us from the ground level. They're with us this morning. They were with us through the night. Uh, we continue to review the information. Investigators are still developing leads and, and very critical information. Uh, once we're at a point where we're ready to review all of that information for charges, uh, we will sit down with the state's attorney and review for criminal charges. I'll, I'm going to turn this over to the mayor, and then I'll be back up to answer questions. You know, folks, one of the things that's so important to realize is that law enforcement in this incident was were right on top of it, and very, potentially uh, Cremo could have been known to them. In essence, they could have known who he was, which aids, of course, in the ex expeditious identification of him. And then, of course, them looking out for his mother's car and then they getting out that all points bulletin, uh, putting an alarm out on the car. And, of course, some civilian called and the police were able to pull it over inside the car. He had another rifle. What were his intentions? Was he going to go on another shooting spree with that other rifle? They didn't indicate how many rounds he had inside that car. But he had other another rifle inside that car. Mayor, thank you. Thank you. Today is a day of grieving together, a day to pause, a day to remember those who left us, those who were injured, and for strength for our community. Several vigil and prayer services are taking place today, both inside and beyond Highland Park. They are as follows. The Community Church of Lake Bluff, 117 East Scranton Avenue, Lake Bluff, will hold a prayer service today at noon. The service will include prayer and music at Christ Church on the corner of Route 60 and Waukegan Avenue in Lake Forest. Trinity Grace Church and Christ Church um, has organized a community prayer gathering at 3 p.m. at Trinity Grace Church, 1506 Half Day Road. You know, folks, you can just imagine the trauma that has been dealt to this community. The trauma in regards to six of their own being murdered and another 30 being wounded. And an event that was supposed to be a happy event, the 4th of July parade. So the trauma, and you know, it's important to treat the trauma of the whole community. And that's why the mayor is talking about some services that are gonna be held because it's important that the whole community receive treatment for this Gaping open wound that's going to be open for a long time. Highland Park, everyone is welcome. Highland Park Presbyterian Church, Trinity Episcopal, and other area faith leaders will hold an ecumenical community prayer vigil today at 7 p.m. at the Highland Park Presbyterian Church, 330 Laurel Avenue, Highland Park. All are welcome. Today, Highland Park High School, located at 433 Vine Avenue, in conjunction with community partners, is host, hosting crisis counseling until 2 p.m. and is open to everyone. No appointments are necessary. Additionally, a family assistance center will open tomorrow, July 6th at noon, to provide support services and crisis assistance to those who were directly impacted at the parade. The location and hours of operations are pending. We'll get that information to the community as soon as we have it. Please go to the city website for more information. The Highland Park Police Department, the American Red Cross, and the FBI Victim Services Response Team 
are assisting with additional partners. The teams will engage with victims and families to assess their immediate needs and provide crisis intervention and other forms of emergency assistance. Anyone who is a victim of the incident and is in need of support can call 800-CALL-FBI. I know what a generous community we are a part of. We are overwhelmed with the amount of support offered not only from those in Highland Park, but the surrounding region and throughout the nation. Thank you. For those who are looking to donate to victims and in support of the community, we ask that you be mindful of potential scams on GoFundMe and other fundraising avenues. This afternoon, we'll share additional information on the city's website regarding how to donate to the victims, survivors, and those who support the community. For all who have reached out with offers of equipment, food, and professional services, we thank you. Uh, thank you all for coming out today. I'll now turn the mic back to Deputy Chief Cavelli. Thanks, Mayor. Any questions? At this point, we have not developed a motive from him. Uh, investigators are very much furthering the investigation. Uh, they have been in discussions with him. I don't have anything to say about motivation thus far because it hasn't been provided. Sir, we've seen disturbing videos the question was there's disturbing videos online that have been seen uh we are reviewing those those are going to be a part of any investigation uh efforts by our task force investigators highland park police we'll look at them and we'll see what they reveal The question was, uh, where did he purchase the weapons and did he tell his mother uh, what he had done? He purchased the weapons locally uh, within the region, so the Chicagoland area. Uh, when he went to his mother's, we have no indication that he provided any information to her. Did he, did he make, uh, give us an idea, how many weapons did he purchase and what? So he was in possession of the firearm the day of, the rifle. He was in possession of another rifle in his vehicle when he was pulled over by police. Um, he also had other firearms that were recovered from a residence uh, that he was living in in Highwood. Well in his name? They were in his name. They were legally purchased. His level of disguise, right? So how did you guys identify him at this point? I mean, clearly there was a lot of planning. Did he have an idea when he placed himself on the roof? Like, is there a timeline? So, so we are working on the timeline, and we don't want to come out with inaccurate information on timing. Um, one of the asks that we have is members of the community, if you have any video of this individual uh, that is walking toward the parade, at the parade, uh, potentially on the roof or exiting, to please call 1-800-CALL-FBI. As far as the disguise went, um, he wore that in an attempt to conceal himself. You know, folks, I mentioned yesterday um, uh, exactly what the chief is talking about right now. If anyone has cell phone video of the perpetrator on the street before he finds that ladder and crawls up to the second story on the roof and gets his little nest that he uses to... Uh, fire that weapon from the police and the FBI want that video. And I keep referencing the Boston marathon bombing and the Zarnayev brothers who walked around with backpacks, uh, with, um, the, the, um, I can't, the, the pressure cooker, the pressure cooker bombs were within those backpacks and the way that the FBI put them together and their movements together were cell phone video surveillance that was sent in by civilians just like were at this event. So that's why Chief Cavelli is asking for this, and they could very well have put some of it together to find out when and where did he, in fact, and what time did he access that ladder to go up to the roof and set up that rifle in order to shoot people. So this is no joke. It's not, you know, we say it all the time. If you see something, say something. It's it's legit. It's important. If you see something, say something. Because guess what? We're going to use your very video to find out what happened here, to connect the dots. So very, very important. Do that, that you can offer? I mean, what do you look like? 
Potentially, I'll look into that and I'll have to get back to you. How do you identify considering the extensive digital trail, the disturbing videos, the amount of views I can't get into that right now. There have been some law enforcement contacts, nothing of a violent nature. I can't get into the specifics of the context of that. And how many rifles? Our colleagues at NBC News are reporting that he purchased multiple weapons. Can you give us any details as to the weapons and how many he may have been in possession of? At this time, I know of the two rifles, and I know that there uh, were potentially pistols that he he had owned as well. Sir. Uh, I'm not going to go into what he may or may not have said. The investigation is still moving forward. I'll provide that information later on. Shooting appears to be completely random. Is it possible he chose the community because of the high population of Jewish people? I know people are concerned that it was an anti-Semitic attack. We have no information to suggest at this point it was racially motivated motivated by religion or any other protected status i believe still in place is an assault rifle ban in highland park is that correct yeah i, I don't have information on that right now but we will get back to you on specifics all the videos of primo prior to this did anyone ever call highland park police or tip off authorities that these were on no we, we're not we were not made aware of these videos you know, folks, we're going to get into that a little bit later, but um, there has to be some methodology online, either on Facebook, on YouTube, on any of these social networking sites. There has to be police on these sites. These sites need to be policed. And don't trust Facebook. Facebook and all of these social media sites are all about money. They're all about money. We need the real popo. We need the real police, the FBI to patrol these sites and to find out little psychos like this guy and other would-be active shooters and to surveil them. And if they do things that are considered, you know, crossing the line of illegality or the potentiality of becoming an active shooter, they need to have a visit by law enforcement. You totally cannot trust these sites, the Facebooks, the Zuckerbergs, you know, the YouTubes and the, these other sites that are just concerned with money. You know, we need the police policing these sites. I mean, that's my opinion. Uh, I don't know how you guys feel in the chat, but that's my opinion. Chris, how did you identify him as a suspect? Through surveillance video or by tracing the gun? So investigators did a really good job. The ATF was phenomenal yesterday. They expedited a uh, trace of the firearm. That was a major investigative lead for us. In addition to that, the witness statements, the videos that we obtained from uh, people that turned them in and the businesses, they all helped us tremendously. Can you break down the number of injuries, not the deceased, and can you also then further break down how many of those were gunshot victims and how many of the injured were not gunshot The information I have right now is that all of those that were either transported to the hospital or self-drove themselves to the hospital were injured by gunfire. So over 30 individuals that were injured by the gunfire and they went to the three hospitals we mentioned yesterday do you have any more info on the ages he was identified by uh, a, a number of uh, there were police officers that were able to recognize his photo once it was revealed and that helped tremendously you know folks i said that um yeah not to say i told you so but i said that He's bound to be known to, known to the police, the local police. I mean, it would happen all the time when I would do homicide investigations in certain precincts, certain areas. A photograph would come up and the local detective from the precinct we, where the murder was would say, oh, I know that guy. I know him because that's where they work. They work there every day. So that is why the resource of having detectives and police officers that work in a specific precinct for a long time is invaluable. Their experience is invaluable. And these are the things about we know as police professionals that is invaluable that politicians just don't consider because politicians should have almost nothing to say about policing. So it was a high-powered rifle that was used. It was uh, shot high-velocity rounds, 
it could be similar to an AR-15. It was similar to an AR-15. As far as identifying him with the woman's, he was seen on, on video camera in the woman's clothes. Video camera uh, played a tremendous role in how we were able to identify him both uh, leaving initially and as he left. Different and bought at separate locations. I'm not exactly sure what the woman's attire consisted of. Initially, it was reported that this person had long hair, so a wig isn't out of the question. Can you repeat that? It was a local business right in that vicinity. I'm not sure the name of the business. Uh, he was able to access the roof through a ladder that's affixed to the side of the building. We'll take three more, okay? What happened with, those, with that clothing? Did he dump it somewhere or did he have it on? Have you talked to his parents at all? We've talked to teachers since he was with an elementary school that have contacted his parents several times saying there were issues with him as a teen and a young child growing up. What type of Sure. Of One of the things that, that is important to remember here is the diligence and investigation. We're going to reach out to everybody we possibly can that has information, firsthand information about him, whether that's family members, teachers, uh, friends, whoever it is that has information. But it does take time. It takes time to gather who may know him, who knew him in the past, teachers. That is something that task force investigators are working on. They've interviewed a number of people thus far. But please keep in mind, we're 24 hours in. There's a lot of work to be done here. We're not done. I don't want to get into levels of cooperation. No indication the weapons were modified. One more, one more. No children have passed away. We'll take your last one. I'm not sure what address he gave. I can get back to you on that. All right, we'll be back this afternoon about 3 o'clock. We hopefully have an updated status on charges. He'll remain in custody at this point. This Chief uh, Cavelli, outstanding job, outstanding job. One of the reasons, he knows how to answer the questions. He knows the information to give. He knows not what information not to give. He knows how to shut the press down when they ask stupid questions. Because one of the things that you have to do as a um, police executive is to give them enough information that they're satisfied, but don't give them information that is not going to be helpful to the investigation. You also have to let the press know that, look, this information is preliminary. Good investigation takes time. And we're taking our time. We're going to be methodical. And we're going to get it right. We're not going to just throw you the information out because you're demanding it. They kept almost demanding what was the rifle, what type of rifle. And for some reason, the Chief Cavelli wouldn't give them exactly. He said it's an AR-15-like weapon. He didn't commit to what, I don't know if he knows or if they don't know exactly what type of rifle, but he said it's an AR-15-like. Look, the, the weapon fired over 70 rounds in a very short period of time. If you listen listen to the video and to the, uh, the tape, it just almost sounds like automatic gunfire, just horrendous. Folks, this is Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. If you like this show, go on our YouTube Hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, ring that bell. It's free to subscribe to Police Off the Cuff on our YouTube, free to become a subscriber, or as I like to call you guys, our fans. We also have a um, Patreon that is not free. There's three different levels if you want to support us financially. Go on our Patreon and you can support us that way. We also have a YouTube channel members with five different levels. And our YouTube channel members, we appreciate uh, the five different levels that people support us, and uh, we have the greatest fans, and we appreciate you guys. You know, one aspect of this investigation that I think is fascinating in the way that Pamela Neal, a brand-new member, thank you so much, Pamela, for joining. There you go. There's some green font. Pamela just joined our YouTube family. Thank you so much for joining. We'll appreciate you. Um, one of the things is that these active shooters have been um, sort of advertising what they're going to do ahead of time on social media. So when that happens, we need social media experts that are looking out for these type of people. 
are there groups of these people? Are there, for example, white supremacists with groups on Facebook? Are there just active shooters? Are there survivalists? Are there, you know, racial racial um, groups that are uh, spewing forth hatred? Someone has to be watching this online because these groups can proliferate and spread their hatred. And that's the thing that there's a weakness in this. Because this, I don't know how many times I've heard there's been an active shooting, and they had sort of choreographed what they were going to do, but no one knew about it. And I understand that the FBI and other groups have units that monitor this stuff, but obviously there's not enough people monitoring this because it's occurring all the time. I want to play a little bit of this. This is from an, an expert on uh, MSNBC that is talking about the very thing. I'm referring to, and you really do need um, social media experts to be online and to be watching and listening to this. That's correct. Uh, uh, Bobby Cremo on the internet went by a rapper named Awake. And in those music videos that he put out under that name, it was pretty much just graphic depictions of mass violence, school shooting, or him getting murdered by the police after uh, in, in cartoon form after uh, a, a shooting that he uh, perpetrated in these videos. And that was basically his aesthetic. He had a Discord forum where people uh, hopped on and, and you know, rooted him on for things. And what, you know, most recent, before the shooting, the last post in the pol politics section of that Discord forum was a picture of Bud Dwyer, who famously, the, the politician who famously uh, killed himself on live TV. Um, so it's this sort of aesthetic of, of mass death that you saw in, in these forums. Um, it was this fetish, fetishization of mass death uh, that you saw constantly from his posts and his music videos. Tough to tell right then, but do you get a sense of what was driving this person of interest? What was driving Cremo to violence? What, was, what were the reasons why? Well, this is very difficult to say uh, because you don't want to egg it on, but there right. is a community of people on the internet who are obsessed with mass death and you you know people who have who fetishized mass ki mass killers and this has been happening since basically columbine but it has accelerated uh in the age of social media and the internet um and you see a lot on, on boards like fortune and places like that extremist forums where they have developed entire personalities based around the concept of killing people they have they they, they view it as like a scoreboard the amount of deaths uh, you can accrue in a mass killing. They talk about that afterwards too. Some of these forums talk about, you know, they compare mass killers to previous mass killers and say, you know, he didn't do as well as this guy or something like that. That's part of the community that he was appealing to in these spaces. Uh, and you could see a lot, not just in his music videos, but in his posts across the internet. He was actually a, you know, he was in other message boards uh, on the internet that were literally just posts of uh, people being beheaded or people being killed. He was a power user on those forums. Um, it's basically a cult of death in these internet forums. You know, Jimmy May in the chat, impossible to monitor the internet to a safe level. Jimmy, you're probably right. However, they're not doing enough. They need to do much, much more. Because, you know, they used to, when television first came out, I believe it was 1948, 1952, they called television a vast wasteland. I think that so much applies now to the internet. The internet is scary, and it is a vast wasteland where a lot of hatred uh, and violence can proliferate. And we need, guess what? We need the police to patrol the internet. They, we need them on the internet because these Zuckerbergs and all these billionaires, they're obviously not doing a good job. So someone has to do it for them then. So, Ben, it's kind of like the sick balance of uh, push-pull understanding of why this crime potentially happened today if this person of interest becomes charged in the end. And you've been describing what may have pulled him into this space, per perhaps uh, a love of violence, as you've been describing. Uh, also, maybe a, a sense of fame on the pull side. And then on the push side, did, was he angry at anything? Was he upset with certain groups or ideas that may be on the push side? That's a good question. Um, you know, he, I don't want to place this in political leanings. He had sure. a couple of times posted about Donald Trump. Once uh, he was outside of his motorcade uh, after Donald Trump landed 
for an event. And another time he was posted with the Trump flag draped around him. He posted that on his Twitter account. But I, I do want to say that the irony on these boards is just as important as the sincerity. So uh, whether he believed, whether he was functionally a Donald Trump fan or not, uh, you can't tell by two posts. You really cannot. What you can tell is this guy was obsessed with mass murder. Um, whether he was pushed that way from a politician or not, I'm not sure. But I can tell you he was mm -hmm. pushed that way from a community of people on the Internet who, who, was, who were effectively uh, his fans and uh, telling him to accelerate it. One of the things that you've probably heard many times from Tim Cavanaugh, our analyst over here at MSNBC and NBC News, he often uses the word loner. Uh, would you describe, based on the postings of this person of interest, that this person of interest was a loner and felt that others didn't accept this individual? Yeah, Richard, I, you know, you can call these people loners, but at some point there are a lot of these loners and they are no longer loners. Uh, if they're all going to the same forums, if they're all, uh, you know, self-referential, if they talk about the other shooters, mm -hmm. if they talk about the, uh, you know, what it looks like as art to do these things before they do it. You know, these videos were posted in January. This is not a recent phenomenon for this person. Um, you know, if they have entire communities set up to talk about those music videos and, you know, uh, People uh, know the references they're talking about when, when these things happen. This isn't a situation where there are loners. This is a situation where these like a terror cell rooting each other on to commit these murders for the sake of uh, Internet fame, even if they're not alive to see it. Uh, you have been digging deep into his online platform. Uh, in addition to that, what, were there any indications based on the artwork that he had exhibited on through tattoos uh, that also might give us a hint as to who he might be as an individual. You know, folks, one of the things I've seen a lot of people in the chat talking about, oh, where did his life go wrong? What went wrong? This went wrong. That went wrong. How about mental illness? A lot of these people are mentally ill and they gravitate towards hatred and towards a lot of this online hatred because of mental illness. And we talk about red flag laws and things like that and that people that are mentally ill should not be able to purchase a firearm. However, it appears that he purchased two firearms legally, not illegally, legally. So these are, are dangerous times. And getting back to patrolling uh, the World Wide Web, patrolling the Internet, I really believe that it, it's, it's the carrier. It's, it's Facebook. It's YouTube. It's, um, you know, it's Twitter. It's a lot of these sites. They should pay for it. However, regular law enforcement should be involved in it. And then if they have to pay for regular law enforcement to do an investigation on their site, so be it. Why should we pay when these, these sites are making billions of dollars? They should pay. Look, they, they, sell, they sell your information out there. So why should we have to pay to investigate them? They should pay, but I don't trust them to investigate themselves. So they must pay for law enforcement to investigate their sites. Because look what's going on on these sites. Uh, I think it's probably too early to say for that. Yeah. There are no traditional, you know, you don't, you don't see any swastikas or anything like that on him. No traditional neo-Nazi paraphernalia that I've seen so far. Um, however, you know, you can exist as a person who wants to murder people on the internet with a completely different uh, form of artistic framework. I guess that's what this, this that's what this guy was going for. He, he was um, there. There is effectively a 4chan mass shooter style aesthetic that he was trying to replicate mm. in these videos. Um, and whether that's tied to white supremacy is something that we'll figure out over the next few days. That's what you see constantly in these spaces are, are people referencing those prior people. So it's a new kind of thing. Um, it is a, like, like I said, it's like a cult of death on there. They constantly talk about the prior mass shootings on here. Uh, and I don't think this is any different. In your beat uh, and, and expertise of online extremism, how does this person of interest either stand out or not stand out compared to other individuals that we've had, unfortunately, had to try to understand and characterize in, in recent months and years? Well, I think uh, 
the most interesting part of this is that he was sort of known on these online spaces. He had little biographies written, written about himself. He had tens of thousands of views on YouTube before all of this happened. Um, he was sort of a known entity in uh, the, the these far right. Um, you know, folks, uh, Gerda Kotsky, I just want to um, uh, read what you wrote. Um, I can just, just, it just skipped somewhere. Um, a lot of true crime channels get flagged by YouTube themselves for using certain words. Why aren't these flagged by them? Not understanding this, you know, Gerda, you're 100% correct. What I name my particular episode, I have to be very careful. If I name it uh, something that YouTube doesn't like, they'll demonetize it or they won't let uh, certain information get out there. But yet you see some craziness that doesn't seem to get flagged. And I question that. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I think I um, I got a 29-day uh, penalty box on Facebook just for posting a video about an active shooter. It was nothing that was sensational. It was just a story. And they put me in the box for 29 days. And I was just like, I cannot believe this. So the penalties are inconsistent. And I think they go against a certain, a certain type. And they l allow a certain other type. And we all know what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, mass shooting spaces on the internet. Um, that's the difference is previously other people were aspiring to get into that space. And this guy was already making really terrible, by the way, art and rap about this sort of thing. Um, he was, uh, he was already in there. Um, so that's the big difference. You know, people like you, but the, the, the Uvalde shooter, for example, mm -hmm. that was not the case. These are not known people. They are, you know, pathetic people in general who go and shoot up a school or they shoot up a, you know, or they shoot up a, a supermarket or something and they are seeking a claim. Hmm. Um, this guy was, I don't know, no, I don't want to say if he was appealing to fans or fulfilling his own, uh, what his music video had shown, but that's the difference. This time it sort of happened in reverse. His, you know, he was saying he was going to do this through his art for a very long time. Hmm. Uh, I know we got to let you go. How long are we talking about months, years here, Ben, that uh, he's had this track record? Uh, years, definitely years. Um, what's weird is they went largely silent on a lot of these forums, on you know traditional forums like Twitter and YouTube since basically January. Um, it's unclear what he was doing since then, but he was still you know lingering around uh, a couple other forums in more anonymous spaces. Uh, great information there. Uh, NBC's Ben Collins, uh, who focuses on online extremism with a lot of detail uh, to some of the questions that people are trying to understand about this person of interest now uh, about nine or 10 hours since uh, the crime had happened. Thank you so much. Folks, if that wasn't um, fascinating to you and fascinating to everyone that might investigate this, uh, what is Online, And, you know, I know when I work, worked in homicide, a lot of our shootings and a lot of our murders in the inner city, uh, some of the perps would post videos about that they just did it. They would actually put videos on YouTube that they about how they just shot somebody or brag about it or do a rap tune about it. And it's like another vast, as I said before, a vast wasteland of information. Many times we, we would obtain photographs of suspects from the internet. And you know something? You post a photograph on the internet, it's fair game. You don't need legal permission to use it. It's out there. And that's why, you know, sites like Facebook and all these other sites, they just use everything that people put out there. So just realize this. Uh, Marilyn Mineta, Bill, we need police dedicated to social media to look for these people. What do you think about that? Well, Marilyn, they do have that, but apparently there's not enough of them. And it's not so easy to take it from point A to point Z because just because you see someone saying something, you can keep them under surveillance, keep them under investigation, but to make an arrest is a whole other thing. And all of this stuff is extremely, extremely time-consuming. And you, as I said, you have to connect the dots to what what the heck's going on, you know. And law enforcement, um, you, you you hear a lot about um, about 
when there's one of these active shooters that the FBI uh, or another law enforcement agency knew all about the guy. And, and you know, it's not that they did anything wrong, but they have thousands of investigations and it, that all reach different levels that they can not necessarily pull the trigger on. So they know about a lot of this stuff and it's, it's look, it's not, I'm not going to oversimplify it. It's not easy. It's not an easy thing, but yes, do they need to know about it? And do they need in certain instances to let the public know about it? Absolutely. It's, it's just, it's just an incredible thing. Folks, um, Joe Murray, uh, attorney at law. If you're in the uh, New York City metropolitan area and you need a great defense attorney, Joe Murray is your guy. His cell phone number is 718-514-3855. You can reach him at joe at jmurray-law.com. That's his email. His website, jmurray-law.com. Joe's been on both sides of the fence. He's been an attorney. He's been a police officer. He even once got arrested. So he knows what it's like. So for a great attorney in the New York City metropolitan area, Joe Murray is your guy. He's also a great friend of this show. So folks, these, this, this active shooter thing is just something that is, is here to stay, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, I don't, three major active shooters in the last, in the last two months. Suspect's background today. Yeah, we want to get more into that. And investigative reporter Ben Bradley is joining us with more on what he uncovered. Ben? Ray and Lourdes, we found too many warning signs to count. His posts contain violence and vengeance, along with the logo of a far-right overseas group. We share these images not to glorify the suspect, but to show you what police have uncovered that's informing their investigation. Bobby Cremo was a prolific poster online where he apparently went by the name Awake the Rapper. His videos foretell his alleged violent acts. In one, he appears to dramatize his school shooting. I know what I have to do. I know what's in it, not only for me, but for everyone else. Where am I going? I don't know. I don't care. There is no past or future, just the now. In another video, Cremo appears to animate his own demise in a confrontation with police. All of this informing the operation to arrest him. Police chasing leads across the northern suburbs with Skycam 9 spotting this heavily armed armada of sheriff's deputies at Lutheran General Hospital earlier. This is a terribly difficult day and the bloodiest that we've experienced in Highland Park. Highland Park's mayor, Nancy Rotering, also confirming to WGN Investigates she has a connection to the suspect. She said his father unsuccessfully ran against her for mayor in 2019. Investigators have only just begun to piece together the motive and method of this murderous rampage. Police say the 22-year-old suspect was known to law enforcement, but one question that will be asked in the days to come were they aware of the violent videos that have been online for many months? Sources say there were concerns about Bobby Cremo's mental health going back to at least middle school, where he was said to have struggled and was described as a reclusive student. I'm told when the district offered him resources and help, it was declined, and his family opted to homeschool him instead. Mm. Lourdes and Ray, a lot of warning signs, and it's obviously easy to, to look back in hindsight, but... These social media pages, these websites that he uploaded these to, mm -hmm. had a lot of views. So the question is going to be, did anyone inform law enforcement? And if so, what was done about it? Okay. In the meantime, he used a weapon to mm -hmm. carry out this attack. Do we know much more about how he got it and what type of weapon are we talking about? Yeah, police have only described it as a high-powered rifle. It was left behind at the parade grounds there. The ATF is involved in tracing it. That can be kind of a laborious task. Uh, they'll go back. They'll find out the chain of ownership mm -hmm. and how it got into his hands and certainly whether or not he was legally allowed to own it. Okay. We'll be looking for those answers. Ben, thank you. You know, folks, <clears throat> so easy to criticize the Monday morning quarterback. Undoubtedly, this kid's uh, got mental health issues. The question is what could and was there any attempt to do anything about it? And if they did try to do something about it, did they have enough 
legal course to do something about it, to grab him, to force him to get help, to stop what seemed to be an inevitable uh, turn towards violence and turns towards what we saw on July 4th, this active shooting incident. Um, it's scary because how many other would-be active shooters are there out there? How many others are there? You know, you could see in his face, his, his tattoos on his face, Bobby Crimo, 21 years old, going to be 22 in September. He's got huge issues, huge issues, you know. And was anyone helping, trying to help this kid, you know? Uh, these are the, some of the questions, and there's going to be, a, of course, uh, the investigation won't stop on this case till they come up. Pauline Buckles sh shows uh, self-loathing. Yes, absolutely. Linda Lafayette, our mental health system in this country is a joke. Uh, Tweety U.S. News, what parent allows their kid to get face tattoos? You know, I mean, Tweety U.S. News, that's a good question. Of course, uh, the, the question is how do parents stop their children if their children have mental health issues? How do they stop them from doing things that are apparent or that getting some facial tattoos that uh, are a bad idea. You know, how do they stop them from doing that? Um, under your scars, what happened since I grew up in the 70s, 80s? What a chit show the world has become. You know, I think that uh, many people would say um, that the internet's not a good thing. That the cell phone that we carry in our hand 24-7, that we get nervous when it's not in our hand or by our side, that's probably not a good thing either. It sort of made us a prisoner to this object. I mean, do you ever get you ever go out of your house without your cell phone? And all of a sudden, oh, I forgot my cell phone. And you get all nervous. How did you do that 25 years ago, 30 years ago? How did you go to the store without a phone? Without a cell, there were no cell phones, you know. How did you survive without the internet? How did you survive without a computer? We did very well, you know. I grew up, I had eight kids in my family. If a girl called my house looking for me, it was the most embarrassing thing. She had to run the gauntlet through all my brothers before she got to me, or my father, or my mother, or my sisters, you know. It was so impersonal to get a damn phone call. Everyone had to know your business. Oh, well, who's Judy? You'd be like, none of your business, you know? But uh, that's the thing that um, now cell phones, you get to that person directly, you know? I mean, I'm oversimplifying it. There are some great things about cell phones, but there's some bad things. And of course, it's not just the cell phone. The cell phone's connected right to the internet, right? Right? The access to the internet. So it's, there's bad things and there's good things. Um, I think, though, overall, we would probably say there's really a lot of bad things about the Internet. But would any of us give anything up? Would any of us give up Amazon? Would any, any of us give up the convenience of getting on the phone and ordering something and have it delivered to your house the next day? What do you think? I'm saying the obvious. It is sad. Paint the roses red. Yes, it is sad. We're spoiled as hell, right? The mentality of just instant gratification. I think that's one of the problems. Uh, you're right, uh, Jimmy May. Everyone is a star online. You know, we call them keyboard warriors. How many people online become real tough? But if you met them face to face, they wouldn't be so tough. But on that keyboard, they know how to call names. They know how to... Uh, they know how to just, you know, bring up an argument to the boiling point. Um, Janice Martin, everything has changed. The way you do things, order food, buy things, visit with people, just everything. With children, they learn the whole thing deeply. Yeah, I think there's some real bad stuff. Uh, keyboard stars, Jimmy May, you're right. Uh, Milwaukee civilian police off the cuff. 
is on the internet, but so are freaks. Look, there's good things about the internet and there's bad things. But I think if you had to sort of analyze it in the bigger picture of life, I think there's probably more bad than good. You know, it's changed society in ways that I don't even think we can, you know, I don't think we can even put a numeric value to how it's changed things. Um, but much of it is bad. And again, much of it is good. Much of it is good. You can instantly notify somebody, instantly order things, instantly do things. It's instantly have research, instantly know things. So, yeah, there's some great things, but uh, I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, Janice Morton, I think most older people over 55 may not know half of what is on the internet. Very, you know, uh, Bill, can you speak to a reverse lookup on Google? It was used apparently to catch some kids that burned down a house and kill the occupants. Well, you know, on Google, you can sometimes just put a phone number in there and it'll tell you whose number it is. I don't know if that's as true with cell phones. Um, names. There's there's sites on the internet, um, Phone Finder, People Finder. They're all reverse lookup sites. You can get a tremendous amount of information. With a lot of these sites, once you want to go to another level, they'll require you to pay and these are the sites that private investigators use. So they'll ask you, um, they'll ask you to pay after Chad X7R. Bill explain how law enforcement may have not known about this guy and his red flags. Because if you ask me, there is no way they didn't. Chad, I think they probably did know about him, but again, they know about thousands of people. So can they do something about the red flags that? Everyone displays on the internet or thousands of people display. Uh, I've had friends uh, that have worked for the Joint Terrorist Task Force. And I always said to them, how come every time someone does a terrorist attack, it turns out that you guys knew about them? How come you didn't do anything? And they explained to me, well, because we get thousands of leads and we can't possibly follow up on every single one of them, you know? Um, Folks, you know we're gonna uh, we're gonna stay. We're gonna follow this case. I think that the um, that the Highland Park Police are doing a fantastic job. I think that Chief is doing an amazing job of disseminating the information out there. And you know, one of the things you guys don't realize that aren't in the police world, these guys won't sleep for about a week. They'll keep working, and they'll maybe they'll get home for an hour or two, and they'll come right back to work. And that's the nature of law enforcement. That's the nature of police work. Folks, one more time, if you're not subscribed to Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories, go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button. It's free. Give us a thumbs up. Ring that bell. And if you want to support us, we have a Patreon, three different levels, and you can join the Police Off the Cuff YouTube family. The folks in the green font are part of that. And we have five, count them, five different levels. Mickey Mantle, the green font just shows up. He's on the Police Off the Cuff family. Uh, hit the like button to this video. So, guys, um, if you like things from a police perspective, you're in the right place. If, anyone, if no one has anything else to ask or say, I think I'm going to uh, fold up the tent and move on. I think we covered this pretty well. There's some fascinating information out there. Think of how much information. This happened at about 10.15, 10.30 yesterday morning. Think of how much more information they have now. Someone is in custody. Uh, he's probably the shooter. Uh, they have all kinds of investigators. Two guns, more guns than that. Uh, they know all kinds of investigative information that's going to be used to prosecute this individual. So I would say that the police, the FBI, the ATF, I think they've done an outstanding job. Because law enforcement has been taking a huge hit of late. In Evalde, we all followed that. 
I'm not saying in certain instances it wasn't warranted, but when one law enforcement agency takes a hit, every law enforcement agency across the country takes the hit. So, folks, thank you so much for listening. I want you guys to have a safe day. God bless, and I'll see you the next time. One episode, just ain't enough.